We're leading not only the country, uh, but North America when it comes to cases per capita. So last week, we reported more than 2,000 daily cases for three days in a row. On Saturday, we reported the highest daily count since the start of the pandemic with 2,433 cases. We have a positivity rate right now that's hovering around 13%. So we're going to talk about where we stand right now in this third wave with someone dealing with it on the front lines in a way that most of us, as I said before on the show, are, are really, frankly, lucky enough to not be able to imagine. Uh, so we're talking to someone we've had on the show many times before in the last several months. Uh, he's an intensive care unit physician at the Royal Alex. Dr. Darren Markland is joining us. Dr. Markland, good morning. Thanks so much for being back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Good morning. So, Doc, let's let's start with your feelings on these rising numbers. I think most of us are, are certainly feeling a, a, a new kind of level of frustration, but how does it make you feel to see the numbers headed in this direction in such a big way after months and months of sounding the alarm and, and talking about this and reinforcing that we need to be careful? Oh, I feel like a nag. Um, <laughs> I have anxiety. Um, this is really, you know, this is what happens when uh, you don't you don't send a consistent message, uh, and then you can't expect when people stop listening that this to be the fault of the Alberta public. This is this is truly a problem with um, imposing appropriate scientific measures to control health policy. And, uh, you know, the first wave, we did it right. We were fantastic. So good that we kind of got caught in the second wave, but we learned at that time. But that, that's what makes this one so hard. We're back here despite learning some bitter lessons uh, just because, you know, we're tired. And uh, I'm tired too, but that's not a good excuse for me not to show up to work. And, and we're back, but it may end up being more serious than, than the previous way, especially with the variants, et cetera. Just give us an idea, though. Uh, you know, we have lots of people who, who, who message us or that I'll have conversations with elsewhere who, who don't believe it, it, it's all that bad. So give me an idea of what a day is looking like for you right now in an ICU, where our current situation is, how it feels, how it's working, how it's not working. Well, it's really different from the second wave, uh, mostly because uh, you know we really rationalized our fears by saying, okay, these are older, frail people, and you know, we, this is expected. We can't do that anymore. We just don't have those protection mechanisms because the people we're seeing are young. They look like us or like our children, and there's nothing else wrong with them, uh, other than you know they are quote unquote essential workers who've been put in pretty untenable circumstances. So yeah, they're younger. Um, the good news is because they're a little, they're more robust. They spend shorter times with us. We were spending two, three weeks with people on ventilators. Now that time is down, um, so we're not as long and things turn around quicker. But with these numbers, we're seeing more and more people and they're on the ward and uh, our, our docs over there are doing a fantastic work keeping them out of the intensive care unit but there's this wave and they get more patients and then we get more patients and we start to slow down our surgeries we start to have to to do other things to control um, the hospital population meaning early discharges maybe not electively admitting people and all of those things are gonna they're gonna come back to bite us uh, not as a fourth wave of COVID, but as a fourth wave of general illness uh, once we get through this. 
it seems like there's been this 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 growing tension and, and not even just for the reason of covid between government and between physicians when when we're talking about the way that that physicians are, are being forced to work in the in the face of the pandemic right now, Dr. Markland. I mean, how do do you do you blame the government for where things are at currently, or do you blame the Alberta public? I mean, where does your frustration really lie? Oh, it's, this is clearly a failure of political will. Um, you know, AHS, local levels of government have stepped in to fill in fill in the gaps. And they've done really good with what what they've been afforded. But leadership is so important here. And it's quite clear that if you don't lead, then all of a sudden you get civil disobedience. And we're seeing more and more examples of that. And if it's not if it's not dealt with, then we're going to spiral out of control with respect to these things. So let's look down the road a little bit. You talked about the situation now, the potential for, you know, when that triage protocol uh, came out, just talking about should we start to get completely overwhelmed, how do you prioritize which patients are going to be dealt with, that really sort of rang a bell for uh, for a lot of people about worst case scenario. Now, it it would take a lot for us to get to the triage protocol that, uh, that we heard about, but what do you see happening? What are you afraid is going to happen over the next couple of weeks? Well, I agree with you. I, I don't think we're going to get to triage. I, and you're right, that, that really made people open their eyes. And I think that was a good move. Uh, but my fear is that as you overwhelm a system, uh, you start to deliver care that's below your usual standard. And um, there's, a big, there's a big thread out there about medical mistakes. People realize that this happens. And we've done a lot of quality work to avoid these things. Going backwards, when when you have tired staff who's overwhelmed and working because you know they feel morally obliged, but they push themselves beyond their limits, mistakes happen. Uh, care will suffer, and so that's what my real fear is. This whole concept of 450 ICU beds is really not a sustainable number because it can't be staffed, and even if it could, the level of care we would deliver would probably be. Health would not be our normal standard of care. Hmm. You've shared with us some pretty real stories of the human impact of COVID over the, over the course of the last year, patients that you've treated. Can you tell us any stories that have had a significant impact on you recently? I mean, is it turning people away from surgeries? Is it having to put people on ventilators? What's What's been something that's been really profound for you? I think what's been really affecting me, um, besides the fatigue, of course, is that uh, I see my kids now. Um, I see my kids and the people I'm admitting. Like I, 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 I've seen people who are young enough. I mean, these are, these, I wasn't prepared to protect myself when I saw just how, I don't know, it's perfect, you know, these, these patients I were bringing in. Um, and then, you know, the, the shock of their, of their parents when they, you know, the, the the mother and the father were had 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 it. Uh, they were okay, but their kid, their kid was unlucky. And you know, seeing the grief and the moral distress of parents, I I'm unprepared for that. This is almost I just don't have the defense mechanisms for that. It, when you see your kids in your patients, that cuts you. Certainly makes it real in a way that not a lot of us can understand. So you painting the picture for for us and for our listeners, I think makes makes a big impact. And we really we appreciate your time, and we 
thank you so much again for doing what you do and for continuing to do it amidst the fatigue and amidst the frustration. I know that we'll chat again about this, about this soon, but we really appreciate your time this morning, Doctor. Not just Amy. It's my entire team is amazing, and you know, management, administration. These just the things that these people pull out of midair. Um, I'm going to pass your thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.